Welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast. For episode number 71, I was able to get Dr. Nick Denubli, an orthopedic surgeon specializing in sports medicine, to join us to discuss extending the warranty on your body. Dr. Nick is the best-selling author of the Framework series of health and wellness books, and he has served as orthopedic consultant to the Philadelphia 76er basketball team and Pennsylvania Ballet. He was appointed special advisor to the President's Council on Physical Fitness and Sports. He advised two United States presidents on matters of health and health policy, and has cared for numerous celebrities and high-level athletes. And if that wasn't enough, Dr. Nick is also the Vice President of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, Chief Medical Advisor for the American Council on Exercise, and is on the Global Advisory Board for the International Sports Hall of Fame. Okay, I think it's fair to say that Dr. Nick knows a thing or two about the human body, and as an older athlete himself, he can speak to the ways in which we can push off and slow down the effects of aging on our athletic bodies. Dr. Nick says that we should focus on durability because longevity will come along for the ride, but a long life without a strong body isn't much of a life. All right, let's talk to Dr. Nick Denubli. Dr. Nick Denubli, welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Thank you. Great to be here, Joe. Is it okay if I call you Dr. Nick? Absolutely. That's what everybody calls me, or Nick, either way. I appreciate that. Denubli's tough. <laughs> yeah, I'm not good with names, but Dr. Nick is awesome makes you sound approachable. And I've heard you on some other podcasts, and I know that that's your nature anyway, so that makes sense to me. Hey, I appreciate you taking some time to help us out here. Your background in sports medicine and your leadership in the Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine makes you the perfect guest for our audience here on the Wise Athletes Podcast. Can you tell our audience here a little bit about your background? Sure. Well, um, first, I've been or I'd like to think of myself as one, but an athlete my whole life. Yeah. And I think it all started with that. Um, when I was younger, you know, in the growing up in the late 50s and early 60s, I uh, got into exercise early and it wasn't common then to be weightlifting and and being in sports and, and never realized how much that was gonna influence my whole life and my career. Cause when I finally, I always wanted to be a doctor, I wanted to be a surgeon. I thought I was gonna be maybe a brain surgeon or a or a, um, a hand surgeon, I really loved hand surgery. But in my training, there was a new thing coming on called sports medicine, it was brand new. And, and I saw that it married my loves, my two loves in life, which is being a, a surgeon, being a doctor, and, and working with athletes and athletic people and around sports and that high motivation and that high performance. And uh, so it, you know, that early interest of mine as a kid really blossomed into what was my turned out to be my career so I, I cho chose a path in sports medicine and unlike most of my orthopedic surgeon colleagues who really are mr F and now ms ms there's a lot of women now there weren't before but i call them mr fixits the orthopedic surgeons like to fix stuff after it breaks after it yeah. breaks surgery surgery yeah. surgery but i always had a lean i think because of my interest in fitness and health uh wellness i always had a lean towards the preventive side. And I always thought, well, what, how can you prevent this? And how can fitness play into this? And how can exercise play into this? So always as a side thing to my career, I devoted a lot of time into the world of, of fitness. All of my writing, all of my speaking was in the world of fitness. I've been for a long time the uh, chief medical advisor for the American Council on Exercise. I spent years on the President's Fitness Council with my good friend and lo longtime friend over 30 years, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And we got right. some stories there about aging athletes that are very interesting. I learned a lot from Arnold over the years, but got interested in, in um, 
President's Fitness Council, did a lot of work trying to get our, our country more active, wound up advising two U.S. presidents on matters of health and wellness. Uh, pretty interesting side chapters to my real life, which is as an orthopedic surgeon who fixes knees. That's what I do for the last 30 years. I'm focused on knees, but I spent a lot of my time uh, thinking about, writing about, speaking about aging bodies, uh, what happens to your musculoskeletal frame with age, how you can prevent that. And so much of it is under your control, I think. So um, lucky enough to be a best-selling author, I wrote a book called Framework, which is really about extending the warranty on your frame. How do you, you know, we're living longer, we're looking better, but I realized around the turn of the century, and I was part of a big research that proved this, that musculoskeletal ailments were the number one reason people were going to the doctor in this country. And that's a change from forever. It was always the common cold up until around the year 2000. And what happened, all of a sudden, one year we saw musculoskeletal ailments was the number one reason people went to the doctor. And everybody thought it was a fluke. And I thought, no, this isn't a fluke. This is the aging baby boomers who mm. are different. You know, when I grew up, my parents did very little. And if they ever went out and did something and were sore the next day, they would never, ever do it again, ever. <laughs> right. But we, we were a generation that thought, okay, let's, you know, no, we were the no pain, no gain, which was wrong in a lot of ways, but we beat ourselves up. I certainly did. I took a lot of hits over the years, football, martial yeah. arts, uh, just constantly beating my body up. And the baby boomer population, as they started hitting 50 and 60, we saw this, you know, rush of of musculoskeletal ailments. And to this day, I think probably last year, maybe the year before with COVID, uh, that numbers might've changed, but we're right back to where musculoskeletal is up there again. But you know, nobody was doing anything around COVID, which is a whole nother nightmare that sets hmm. you up for problems when you go back and start doing things again. So um, got very interested in, in that whole concept and, and, and began thinking deeply about it. And I don't have every answer, but I think I've learned a lot about the aging body and you know you, it's you got a different body after the age of 40 there's no question about it than what you you know than than the first half of your life and um you know it's about i'm always thinking about you know with anti-aging medicine i'm their, their vice president i've been for many years and i'd go to the conferences and everybody would talk about longevity longevity and that's certainly important i mean we're living longer than ever you know in the last hundred years we've added We've doubled the life expectancy. Uh, turn of the century in 1900, I think the average life expectancy was 46. So you didn't long live long enough to wear your body out. If you double life expectancy in in that 100 year period, that's more than the entire history of mankind that we've doubled the life expectancy. And evolution's not quick enough to give you a body that's going to evolve to hold up that long. So we've yeah. kind of outlived the warranty on our frame you know, our, our mm. musculoskeletal system. And that's why you're seeing a lot of breakdown. Uh, and then also, it's not just the aging body. Uh, you, you body can prematurely age. I've also been lucky enough to be, you know, work with professional athletes uh, for, for many, many years. I was the Philadelphia 76ers uh, team doc for about 13 years. I've helped over the years take care of the Flyers and the Eagles. I've uh, nice. uh, seen a lot of those, uh, even some of the Phillies, um, Pennsylvania Ballet, my whole career, dancers are an interesting group that beats themselves up. But w when you're athletic or if you've had a prior injury, that part of your body can age prematurely. So you see it's kind of like dog years, you know. You can have younger people with, with issues that you would normally not see until older. Arthritis, seeing arthritis in joints in 30-year-olds who had that mm -hmm. knee injury when they were a teen. 
and then by 30, they've got an arthritic joint. So that's an aging part of their body's aged. So, um, so I've gotten to that wide experience, I guess. I, I know it's a long answer to what's your background, but I think it all fits into the perspective that I have right now. Oh, my God, you are the right guy to have on here. We have a lot of questions for you, my man. This durability thing is really the, the word that caught my attention. So I'd like to dive into that. I, that's what a point I was getting to with anti-aging yeah. medicine. I'm glad you said that because it, it, I derailed uh, talking about myself too much. When I would go to these conferences, everything was longevity. And I, and I would say there's, a, there's another side of that coin that you're not talking about. Longevity without durability is nothing. Nobody wants to live long if your body has failed, right? Yeah, so exactly. how do you, that? I think that other side of the coin is more important. And I started, when I wrote Framework, I thought, you know what? If you do everything in your power thinking about durability first, you will also get longevity because those things you need also. You need to, yeah. to be durable. You need, you definitely need to be exercising. You need to be eating right. You need, but you need to do other things to have to, that are specific for your frame. Yeah. So, yeah. So the durability is, I'm the guy who started pushing the durability side of the equation, which is critical. Well, great. And, and that's the, that's really the thing that I'm most fascinated to learn more about. Uh, I mean, obviously there's the pick your parents carefully, you know, have good genes. Uh, you know, number two is avoid the major traumas. If, if you can, don't need these surgeries, which then lead to probably these, you know, arthritic conditions early or in your life than you ought to have. But we're talking to a, a, an audience of people who are what they are. They, you know, they're through their younger years and they now are dealing with the body that they have, they were born with and then abused, uh, used, you know, I'm not sure which, to this point. And what they wanna know is, well, what can I do? What can I, 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 I can't turn back the clock of time. I mean, can I? Probably not, I can't. And then, but what can I do to slow, maybe I am aging too fast and I could slow that down. And for where I do have problems or hints of problems, and I've got a little tendonitis here, or maybe I've got a little arthritis there, or whatever you would point to as, hey, these are your red flags or your yellow, your yellow lights um, in your, you know, green, yellow, red uh, scorecard. What could people do? Uh, just tell us your general thinking on this. I mean, is there something anybody can do? Oh, absolutely. I think so much of the, the you know, the failed frames that I see are preventable. I think so much is preventable or at least avoidable. And I think in, in all of my books, um, especially my first one, the original framework, the bestseller, uh, your seven-step program for healthy muscles, bones, and joints, you know, you have your seven-step program, which, the, you know, when you write a book, they either want 30 days or seven steps, or you know, <laughs> yeah, but it actually fit perfectly for what I, and, and step number one, I think is important. And then we can talk about some of the other things without going through the steps, but some other general concepts I think that are important. So, yeah. but step number one in the book, and you talked about the yet, uh, yellow, red, green, is a self-test. You know, you, you, you try to find, and then really self-test to me is really about finding your weak links. And I think weak links is one of those conceptual terms that's critical here. We'll talk about weak links. We'll talk about balance is another one, a big term mm -hmm. that we'll get to. But weak links are those things we all have. If you're 40 plus, you got weak links, whether you know it or not. The weak link could be genetics. It could be 
you know, you just have your genes towards some kind of condition that might make you more vulnerable. And it's about vulnerabilities, your fault lines. Find these fault lines, the little cracks that, are, that could, and, and some of them are stealth. Some you don't even know you have. But after the age of 40, like gray hairs and wrinkles, your body changes. The collagen in your tissues changes. The elasticity changes. Things start happening and you are more vulnerable. So finding those weak links and the, the weak links, as I said, could be genetics. They could be an old injury that never fully healed or left, left some damage to a part of your body. They could be mindset. It could be nutrition based. I'm thinking very holistically when I say take this test and find out where you're, you know, lacking. And, it, you know, you might get a green light. Hey, I'm good there. You might get a flashing yellow, which is like, oh, you better pay attention to this, or it might be red light. You better get this checked or do something, or you're, you're, you're in trouble. Um, the other big weak link I find with athletic people and active people is around the word balance. And it's hard to find somebody whose uh, routines are balanced, where they really create balance in your frame. And I can use balance a couple ways. You know, there's balance where you fall down and that's an important balance to have. But I'm talking about balance of your workouts and balance of your frame, your body, the, the muscles, the tendons, front to back and so on. And first of all, the workouts. There's no, I don't think there's any one workout that gives you everything you need in terms of strength, flexibility, cardiovascular, and core. Let's look at those four things and maybe proprioception, which is that balance, your your GPS, internal body GPS systems that keep you, you know, from falling over. So there's yeah. no one, if you're going to pick one activity that covers a lot of that, I think, or two, I found that martial arts and ballet are things that if you're doing them, you're probably getting a lot of your bases covered, right? Because right. they're, they're, you know, especially ballet, but even ballerinas have imbalances. If I check a ballerina, you send me a ballerina and I've seen so many of them, I will show you their imbalances just because of the activity. If there's a certain activity you do and you do it a lot and you don't balance it, you're going to, you, it creates imbalances in your body. If you're mm -hmm. a runner, distance runner, typical runners, they, they have great cardiovascular system. They, you know, they have strong calves. They have a couple other things I'll find, but I'll show you their tight hamstrings, their tight lower back, their tight front of their shoulders, their relatively weakness of the upper body, imbalances front to back in their legs. You know, if that's all they're doing, they have imbalances. So if you love that activity, do it, but find out where it, what it doesn't cover and balance it. So the runners who do yoga and also practice mindfulness and, and meditation, uh, you know, you can cover, you just have to find out what you don't have. And you should be doing in any given week, pretty much the same way with when you hear about um, your uh, daily recommended allowance of certain vitamins or food groups yeah. with exercise, you almost should be doing equal, am equal amounts, cardiovascular, strength, flexibility, some balance work, some core work equal amounts. So people who are running every day, you know, they're not stretching enough. They're not doing weight training. They're not. Do so you have to. And if you're running every day, you're doing it for reasons other than your health. You know, yeah. it, you don't need to run every day for all of the benefits of health. You know, if you love doing it, that's fine. But if you're running more than three days a week, especially higher mileage, you, the, the 
chart changes rapidly in terms of injury rates. So why mm -hmm. risk the injury? Do, you know, get your running in, but also on days when you're not running, maybe you want to go on the elliptical or ride a bike or swim or just take a yoga class or make sure you're doing strength training and balance and core and so on. So balance becomes critical part of the weak link. So you, you take these tests, you run through the tests, you assess yourself and you find out where could I, you know, where could I be doing better? And I guarantee you're going to find these weak links. The old injury, you know, you, you, you like me, I had a, a football injury in my late teens. It was good for years. It wasn't treated right back then because they didn't know what they were doing. They put me in a cast for three months. We never do that to anybody anymore. And there was no yeah. rehab. So that set me up. I did good for 10 or 20 years, a black belt in martial arts, high level athlete. Uh, and then in my 30s or 40s, that, that, that injury started giving me an arthritic kneecap to where it's down to bone now. And I, it's changed. I had to stop skiing because of that. I have to I can't do squats and lunges. Uh, I have to strengthen other ways. So I now I have to modify. I have to. I know my problem, because once you find a weak link, you have three options in my mind. You can resolve it, which would be great. You know, you have rehab or you have surgery. That weak link, maybe it's a a weak ankle from an old sprain. You you get it really strong. You develop your GPS, your coordination, your proprioception fully, and it's gone. You're all better. That's great. If you with a weak link, if you could resolve it or you have surgery, if you need it, resolve it completely. That's fine. Most weak links aren't that easy. So if you can't resolve it, you can toughen a weak link. So you have that rotator cuff that's kind of fraying like most of us by the age of 60. If you get an MRI, you rotate. It's not going to look normal on an MRI. You know it's beat up. So yeah. if it bothers you a little bit, you strengthen all the other muscles around it. You modify your workouts. You you make that weak link less vulnerable because the chain is only as strong as its weakest link. That's where you're going to fail. That's what's going to go. So if you can't resolve it, you toughen it, you strengthen it, you make it less vulnerable and, and you are able to continue doing the things with it. The other thing, which I hate, which sometimes happens if you can't resolve it or toughen it and work, you have to learn to safely work around it. And that's where a lot of the you know, adult athletes, the mature athletes, we call them the aging athletes. They used to call them old jocks. <laughs> mm -hmm. But now now we have better terms for people like myself. And I'm still a very high level tennis player. I'm USPTA certified. I could teach and coach if I wanted. And I play, you know, I'm playing with 20 year olds and 30 year olds. Nice. And I just turned 70. So uh, it's, it's, you know, but the third thing is you have to learn to work around uh, a certain ailments. Like with me, with my patella, you know, I want to keep my quads strong, but I can't do squat. I can do maybe light or no weighted squats or lunges. But if I lift a weight, it's grinding. It's going to get irritated. I'm doing myself harm with that. Yeah. And that's the other thing you have to learn the difference. And I learned treating pro athletes, especially being Alan Iverson's doctor for many years, the difference between hurt and harm. You know, there's some things that might hurt a little if you work through it. And as long as you know you're not harming it, you can work through some hurt. I mean, I don't play without pain, right? But I know that I'm not harming myself. You know, it's the kind of thing it hurts a little when I'm playing some Advil relief sometimes or joint supplements a day off and I'm good again. But but if you know you're harming something uh, and you're pushing through it, then you're going to get into bigger, bigger trouble. Uh, if you have this rotator cuff that's constantly sore and you know it's frayed and it's kind of on on and but you're still doing heavy overhead presses and but you're going to tear that all the way. You That's that's not just a little bit of hurt. 
that's harm and you have to learn the difference and that's subtle sometimes to learn that and that's where you need a good sports medicine doc or orthopedic surgeon or physical therapist to help you through some of the that decision making on your own body about what to do but okay. make sure your workouts are balanced look at your find your imbalances correct them and you, that's that's number one so step one is always about finding your weak links and then the other six steps we can go into that have to do with exercise and and uh, nutrition and mindset and recovery recovery is the other big thing now we never even talked about but that's that's the buzzword now is uh you know you push yourself too hard over and over again you, you're going to break but if you allow recovery the body's interesting it 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 recovers, you know, unlike a, a piece of metal, like a paper clip that you bend a few times and it gets a little weaker, then you bend it a few more times and it gets weaker and then you just bend it once and it snaps. Your body, if you work it a little bit, it might, it weakens a little bit, but then it's getting stronger in the process and it's recovering. But if you don't allow the recovery and just keep hitting it over and over, and that's the problem with distance runners who are out there every day or weightlifters that are pushing the same thing. I see a lot of guys I talk about in my books, um, you, you know, mirror muscles. That's all they work is the mirror muscles. They're doing, yeah. you know, bench press. They're doing curls. They're doing quads in the front. And, and they get a frame that's imbalanced. They don't have the strength behind these areas. And those imbalances set you up. So, um, you know, just have to really think about your workouts and balancing them and, and doing the right thing. That's really great information. I have to say it's so hard, though. I mean, I, I'm, I'm guilty of all of the things that you describe more or less over time. Uh, you know, and what I hear from a lot Me of... Me too, by the way. Don't feel bad. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, and I don't feel bad. I just, I just, I, I want to solve it. And uh, that's one of the reasons that I do this podcast is, you know, to talk to people like you who keep reminding me of things that shoot, you know. I, I, I knew, I know that I need to cross-train. You know, what happens is that, I mean, a couple of things happen that cause you to not do that. And one is that you want to get good at something, right? I'm a competitive person, and if I'm going to compete, I want to win, or, you know, I want to do well, or I at least want to beat you. And to do that, I'm going to out-train you. Well, that means I'm going to do it again and again and again. Now, I don't have time for all these other cross-training things that, uh, that we're talking about. The other thing that happens is that people, maybe they have some natural gifts they've been good at something or they think they're not good at something or they had an injury and something hurts and now they avoid it and so they've they're just getting narrower over time in their life and they're narrower and narrower and narrower and they think they're doing the right thing because you know i'm still working out my heart you know i'm getting my heart rate up and so i must be doing something good but they're only moving in one plane and so they have you know different pains and aches that they're not doing anything about and they just live with it when they do their sport and they're good at that sport even with these issues for a while but eventually it's going to catch up this is what i hear you saying the message is if you're going to be a wise athlete you want longevity and durability even if you want to be good at your sport you, you need to be a healthy person first and to do that you need to do this cross training and work all of the parts of your body and find the things that are not working well because that's what's going to go bad first on you this am i hearing you right that's right and then when something goes bad it's a slippery slope especially for the mature athlete the older athlete what once you stop doing what you've been doing because of an injury you get that achilles tear or you get that quad tear or the rotator cuff surgery yeah. and then you're not doing anything the the road back is 
impossible. And then all systems start going down. You lose your cardiovascular. And I learned this firsthand, um, and I know better, is uh, with COVID, you know, I'm, I'm an avid tennis player. I'm really good. I've got this bad knee, and I get a bat. My low back goes out, like, you know, once in a while. It's uh, Sometimes it goes out more than I do. But so I know my ailments and I know what I can deal deal with and work around and, and do the preventive stuff. I spend a lot of time stretching and working out beforehand uh, to get my body prepared to go out there. But, you know, I've never had much upper extremity issues. I've been great. I've always been strong. Uh, never had a shoulder problem. And, I'm a, and, I, and I don't have a technique issue with my strokes. I'm a good, good player. So you lay off because of COVID for two years. So you don't play. You, and I go out and start playing again, and I get a rotator cuff tendonitis. Now, I should know better. I've never, ever had that. And so how did, why did that happen? Well, you know, because I have this, I probably have a beat up rotator cuff because I'm old or older. And I never knew I did because everything I was doing was helping it before, including tennis. My body adjusted slowly to the hitting, to the biomechanics. The little muscles got strong. My flexibility was better. You lay off for a year or so. You, maybe something tightens up a little bit that you don't even notice that it's tighter than it was. Yeah. Or the cuff gets a little weaker because it's not hitting tennis balls all the time. And then it's, it's more vulnerable. And you go out and you play once or twice, and all of a sudden you have this rip-roaring shoulder injury. Then you can't play tennis again, right? And you can't do your weightlifting. And you can't – so, I, you know, but I worked around it. I was smart enough to do what I had to do. And even I, which I never go to doctors or I hate going, but yeah, I know you have to. I got one of my colleagues when it wasn't getting better with, with a lot of my holistic kind of natural remedies, I was able to get it so far. But then I wound up getting an ultrasound guided uh, steroid injection into the shoulder. Mm -hmm. uh, I watched my rotator cuff on the ultrasound and it, it was beat up but not torn. So I felt really good. I didn't even get an MRI, you know, I'm bad, doc, bad patient. Doctors are terrible patients. But then it got better and it's good again now. And I'm, you know, fine. But but just that little layoff. And then you look at a more significant injury, what can happen to you if you're if you can't do anything. Like I said, the Achilles, I have so many friends who tear their Achilles or tear their quads or tear their cuff and wind up with big surgeries where they are on the shelf for a while. And then you lose, and, and you need, if you go in with reserves, if you, if you go into that injury with reserves, uh, you're probably better off. We see the same thing with the female athlete with bone health. You know, it's a big problem, osteoporosis, osteopenia, weak bones, especially women, because they get, go through menopause and they don't have, their bones are not quite as strong as guys, especially this generation. I think next generation may or may not be better, and I'll go into why they might not be better, because my generation of, of, of women uh, didn't, they weren't active their whole life. They weren't lifting weights, they weren't doing sports, and they never built the bone reserves, right? Mm. So there's a lot of osteoporosis out there. If you have the reserves, if you build good bone stock or muscle stock or tendon stock most of your life, if things go start going down, you can withstand it. It's like having a good savings account or an IRA and then the stock market crashes. If you had a pretty good amount in there, you could withstand that loss maybe. But if you don't have much in there, you're broke. And... Um, you know, there's no Wall Street bailout for your for your, for your body when it happens. So reserves are important. And the problem I see with a lot of these young people today, they're not getting enough calcium in their diet. The women today are not, the young girls, when I do ACL surgery on them, 
it's amazing when you when you fix an ACL. We do them mostly through the scope now, and it's as done as an outpatient. It's unbelievable the advances in medicine. That's the other thing. My final thing is, boy, orthopedics has really come a long way, and the future is very bright for failing frames because you can fix a lot. And regenerative medicine is huge, but. When I fix these ACLs in young girls, if I fix it in a young guy, we use, uh, this may be tough for your audience, but we use power tools to drill the little sockets in the bone. And with, with, a, with, a, with a 20 year old male athlete, I have to use almost all my strength with power tools to break through their, um, to create the socket to put the new ligament in. Yeah. A lot of these young, and I always start it by hand just to find my site that I want and make sure it's in the right place. Yeah. With a lot of women, young girl athletes, I start the by hand and I just keep turning and I go right through by hand. I can break mm -hmm. through into to the socket. And I'm like, wow, this bone is, this isn't healthy bone. This is somebody 20 years from now that is going to, they take a fall, they got a broken wrist, they got a broken hip. Uh, so reserve, the reserves are important for females, especially with bone health. But for all athletes, when you exercise, you don't only you don't only build your muscles when you're weight training or doing resistance training. You're not only building your muscles; you're building the tendons that are involved, the ligaments. Unless you abuse it, that's the problem. It's it's a dose response curve. It's like a medicine. If you take a medicine or a vitamin at the right dose, it works. If you go overboard on it, it could be a poison. So mm. exercise has that same dose response curve. It could be you could be underdosing that person who just goes for a five minute walk and then lifts a five pound dumbbell twice a week, they're probably not getting much benefit from it, right? Yeah. You gotta find the sweet spot. If you're overdoing it, it can work against you. Your body can break down. That's what a stress fracture is. You get these runners, you think, okay, if, I run four if I'm running three days a week, my bone's getting stronger. If I run six days a week, the bone will be twice as strong, but no, it doesn't work that way. The bone all of a sudden isn't recovering. It's getting these micro cracks from the trauma that you're inducing not enough time to recover and build more bone and you get a crack in the bone. Yeah. So same thing with muscles and tendons. You can abuse them. You can overdo them. We see this with people who take anabolic steroids. It allows them to train harder. Their muscles get bigger, but the tendons get weaker. The tendons a little weaker and that's a dangerous yeah. combination, you know, and their mindset, you know, they, they're invulnerable, you know, they, they're invincible. They're on steroids. They want to push harder. They're able to push harder because of both mindset and strength gains, but the tendon, isn't that strong and they you see these bodybuilders pop their pec tendons they pop they pop their quad tendons uh, both at once sometimes it's it's crazy right. so you got to find the sweet spot with with your program too a more is not always better and with age that's really important you don't recover as as well you know i saw a thing i can i saw a thing i i may be able to party like a rock still i still may be able to party like a rock star but I certainly can't recover like one. You know, it's the same thing with, 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 with fitness and sports. Your body just doesn't recover as well. So you need all of the recovery going for you. You know, hydration, protein, the proper nutrition, uh, mindset, massage, steam bath, whatever it takes. Uh, but you got to have the recovery side of the equation. Yeah, got to get also your sleep working. Sleep, sleep, restful sleep too. You can't be tossing yeah. and turning and snoring. Well, this and in fact, thing. one of my questions, you know, it's crazy. One of my questions in the self-test, and I wrote this book years ago. This was before people knew, do you snore? People are like, well, what's that have to do with anything? <laughs> well, funny you should mention. If you snore, you're probably not getting restful sleep, deep sleep, REM sleep, where your body actually repairs itself. It's amazing. It's crazy. Right. You know, 
So uh, sugar, diets high in sugar and processed foods that's pro-inflammatory. It's not, doesn't help healing. It helps, it damages tissues on a low grade level, not sudden. You don't need a, you know, a Snickers or a candy bar and get instantly damaged. But if you're doing it chronically, you know, occasionally, sure, do it. But if you're doing it all the time, you've got this low grade inflammation that is happening because of your, your lifestyle choices, your nutritional choices, and it's almost like a little rust, a gradual rust that happens under a boat or on metal and water, and it's, it's not a sudden thing that happens, but over time, it yeah, erodes yeah. those tissues. Well, and if it's slowing down your ability to recover, then you're not recovering, and then over time, you're accumulating an issue that just appears out of nowhere one day. Correct. Well, so this headroom thing, I think, is, is really important, and I've, and I've heard it from a number of guests, more in the muscle mass area, and, and that's the area where we can really do something about it quickly, I think. I've always been able to put on muscle pretty fast, and when I've heard I need to keep my muscle mass up so that I have this headroom, I have room to lose muscle mass if something happened and I couldn't work out for a while, you know, even if I was injured or sick. I had a glide path. I could fall some distance and I still would be strong enough that I could get right back to where I was fairly quickly. But you're talking about ligaments and bone and even like the state of inflammation in your body. And all of these things, I think, fall into the same category of get some cushion, get better than you have to be because that'll give you some room to fall when things happen. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. It's absolutely spot on. And, and with age, and you'll see this uh, in the next 10 years or so, that you do lose muscle more rapidly, and it's not as easy to build it with age. But you can still maintain it. You know, you could build muscle at any age. There were some studies done on nursing home patients in their, in their 90s that showed that they could, in a few weeks, build muscle. They can rebuild muscle. But it's not going to happen the way it happened, you know, especially if you're a male and had, you know, you remember your teenage and 20s when you got testosterone out the wazoo okay. and it just grows instantly. Uh, you have to work harder and you can't push the muscles as hard and you ha your form becomes important. You're not, you know, I, I prefer as you age, you know, slower control movement, you know, you don't never want to throw the weight because that's where you snap a weak link, especially if you're not warmed up. You need to warm up first. I tell everybody, break a sweat before you lift. Even if it's a lift day, when you get there, get on the elliptical, get on the bike, just break a light sweat. Your tissues will respond to that. It's like there's a thing called viscoelasticity, uh, viscoelasticity which happens in your muscles and your tendons, even your ligaments, uh, where they perform differently at different temperatures. So if it's cold, if it's cold, it's less elastic and you lose elasticity with age for sure. Your muscles and tendons lose elasticity. So you want them lubed up a little bit. When you hit that first backhand, you don't want it to be cold. That's how you get tennis elbow. You tear that little partial tears in that little tendon at the elbow. You go in warm. Uh, so you, you break a little bit of a sweat. You warm up those key muscles that you're going to use for the activity. You do a lower, a lighter weight set to begin with. Uh, and, and you don't want to be throwing weight around. You know, you like a friend of mine once told me, a good good friend, he always used to use this term, and he was always into the more slow controlled movement. Uh, are you, when you're at the gym, are you here to build strength or to demonstrate it? You know, are you showing <laughs> off? Or do you want to, do you want to, yeah, so yeah, you can demonstrate 
strength by cheating. You know, when you bounce that uh, bench press off your chest or you're throwing the weight with your barbell curls and you're suddenly, you know, but, but slow control movement of a, of a, a muscle that's warmed up and a tendon that's warm up. And, and the, the temperature thing, you think of it, you and I, when we were kids, I don't know if people would know it now, we, there was a candy called Turkish taffy. It was great candy, uh, like any taffy, actually. Uh, if you get a cold Turkish taffy uh, and you just tap it on the side, you could eat it that way. Some people ate it that way. You, it was cold. You, you tap, you bang it on the side of the counter or your table, and it would shatter into a bunch of pieces. If you warm that up slightly, it wouldn't happen because it was gooey and elastic. Well, your tendons are, are like that, too. So they function differently. They're less, they're much more uh, elastic less vulnerable at a warmer temperature. So warm up becomes important. And there's a difference between warm up and stretching. And there's a difference between static stretching and dynamic stretching. And we, I talk about a lot of that in my book, but all of those are important things that after the age of 40, you don't wanna just go out cold and do something sudden because that's that's how people have, how did I tear my rotator cuff starting a lawnmower? Or I went out and I threw a football, you know, just I hadn't played. We go out, my my son in the driveway, hey, throw, throw me a bomb, you know, go out, go long, and you want to throw that. And then you tear your cuff. That doesn't happen with normal tissue, but it happens with age tissues. And it will be less likely to happen if you've done all the things that you're supposed to do. And if you haven't done all the things you're supposed to do, then at least make sure you're warmed up and stretched a little before you try that crazy thing for a first time, but it's relatively simple that way. Do you think that it's better to do, for, for again, for the older athlete, to do um, more reps at a lower weight? Uh, does that give you a better chance of avoiding an injury or? Absolutely, it, it will. Uh, and I don't mean you have to be high, high rep. I think you can do a couple sets of a weight. You can do slow one set, you know, to failure, but, but controlled. I think controlled movement is the bigger issue. And I, and I do like a lighter warm-up set just to help with blood flow. Uh, and then, then you can do your set, you know, your set of 12 to 15 to where you, you know, momentary muscular failure, but with good form. Don't try to get that last rep by leaning back and suddenly, you know, throwing the weight with momentum because um, yeah, that's yeah, where yeah, yeah. you'll snap a biceps tendon or, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I, I do think, and, and I know people might disagree with me, they still want to push heavy weight you know, do a couple reps because that's how they grew up. A lot of people, especially if you played football back in the day, it's, you know, a couple reps, you know, what's your, what's your maximum bench, you know, and I, I see some of these uh, evaluations, especially for older athletes where they still want to do the one rep max to try, try to get a thing. I think that's kind of dangerous. That's dangerous. You're asking for trouble with that. You can, you can know your level. It might take a couple doing it a few times to see what's comfortable for you, but so what, you know, why would you ever do a one rep max? With, on an aging on an aging frame yeah i have to say that i i'm afraid of even knowing what my one rep max is unfortunately a lot of workout prescriptions are based on your one rep max and so people are like oh i, I need to know and it's like wow i don't think you i do. don't think you need to know i think you can figure it out work from a lower level and get to something it might take a workout or two and this is one of the reasons with the American Council on Exercise, I, I've done a lot of their courses for uh, their personal trainers because personal trainers are great and they have all the best intentions, but a lot of them aren't used to the aging frame, working yeah. with the aging frame. So, so you get this, I'll see this you know, 55-year-old uh, female who hasn't worked out much their whole life and they work out with a young trainer and they say to the trainer, I want to look like you, right? And the yeah. trainer says, okay, so do my program. Well, the... <laughs> 
that's they can get away with it at a younger age because they don't have the vulnerabilities but you go on that program and then it's a shame then they want to blame the trainer and it's not the trainer there was nothing wrong with that routine it just was not the right routine for your body at this point in your life uh, and you may be able to build up to that you know some 40 50 year olds can take high intensity training and and you know jumping off boxes and doing that i'm not if you can do it do it but but don't do it the first time out and uh, you know, so the personal trainers we work with, we, we, they, we, ACE has some courses on musculoskeletal certification and they learn about shoulder injuries. And, and that's one of the reasons I wrote my follow-up framework books. You know, the first one was just a general book, but yeah. then I did framework for the lower back, framework for the shoulder and framework for the knee. The, the three areas where I see a lot, a lot of issues that I can, so I was able to go into much more detail for people who have lower back issues. And the lower back one I think is great for just anybody who wants a really strong core. I mean, it's really about your core to a large extent and then doing all the other things that, that are part of the framework philosophy, the holistic approach, which includes, you know, when you're dealing with people with neck pain and back pain, if you're ignoring stress in your life, stress is a trigger for all of that. And if you, if you're, if you don't know how to manage stress and that's where maybe meditation comes in, you know, it's not exercise, but it is, it is helpful for, if you can manage stress levels because stress affects cortisol, which affects inflammation. I mean, it's all connected. This stuff is all connected. And unfortunately, our healthcare system doesn't put any of these dots together. We're, we're piecemeal in how we manage everything. And, and I, even all my orthopedic colleagues are the same. You go in with a sore whatever, it's about fixing it and getting you out of there, right? Make a diet. It's never holistic. You're never, yeah. nobody's ever taken. And we don't have it. Even, even me with this philosophy, I'll try to touch on it in the office, but you don't have the time to really maximize or optimize what you can do for a patient. If you're really willing to go holistic with them and really think about everything, their lifestyle, their mindset. I mean, that's the key to health, but yeah. not when do you ever get any of that at a doctor's appointment? Well, and it's hard to give that if you only got five minutes with them. So yeah. I think that we have to take responsibility for ourselves. Absolutely. That's the word. It's about personal responsibility and you can make a difference. Yeah. You know, as I said, so much of uh, so much of what I see, I think is preventable to a large extent and yeah. uh, almost predictable. If you can predict it, you can prevent it. And that's where the self-test comes in, finding your weak links. You find those weak links. Okay, here's the predictable places you're going to fail. You know, yeah, so yeah. do you want to do something about it or not? Right. And you know what's interesting uh, for the athletes, a lot of the stuff we're talking about isn't a waste of time. Oh, I don't want to just work on my core or my hips or my, it makes you a better athlete. You know, if you're doing all this stuff, you're going to be, a high, it's going to raise your performance levels too. And the kids never see this. When I have these young athletes who've torn their ACL and they want to go back and play and they don't want to do the work. And, you know, I tell them one of the things I learned from being a team doc for high performance athletes, the Sixers, you know, I say for, I used to say to them, you know, especially the young basketball players, you know, every, for every minute, Michael Jordan's on the court, I would bet he spent an hour behind the scenes getting his body ready for it for every minute. You only see him run out there and do what he does. But if you saw the work, that he puts in and every great athlete puts in behind the scenes, it's probably, you know, at least an hour to a minute uh, in terms of preparation and sure. prevention. Sure. And not the most gifted athlete in the world is any good if they're injured. So being able to stay healthy is got to be one of the keys for a professional athlete. 
Yeah, and they put a lot of effort into it. Behind the scenes, you see what they put into it. And the ones who really take it seriously, you know, some are lucky. They just have the genetics. You know, I'll admit, I don't think Allen Iverson, you know, used to do much of anything <laughs> practice. We're ta- remember, we're talking practice? He didn't even want to go to practice, but he got away with it. He was a genetic freak, and he was a talented, so talented. Okay. And then he was a kid, too. So, you know, if, if Allen, if his career went to into his 30s or 40s, you look at, you know, let's look at tennis. Look at, look at Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal. They're just starting to break down. Rafa, as great as he is, just pulled out of Wimbledon, right? Yeah, yeah. With another... Uh, with an abdominal strain, and he ha- and he had to pull out of another tournament recently with a stress fracture in his rib, playing in a very windy game. So his body, you know, he's only he's not even forty yet. Rogers forty. These it's tremendous what they're doing at their ages, right? Yeah. I mean, it's tremendous. They're winning Grand Slams at their. These are him, Djokovic, and Rafa are the probably amongst the oldest on the tour yet. They were the top three still, and Djokovic yeah. is now the favorite. At Wimbledon at his age, yeah. so, but the amount of time they put in behind the scenes yeah. is is ridiculous at this point. And people have to be patient too. When somebody's saying, "Oh, this is how's this going to make me a better athlete?" It's like, well, it won't make you better tomorrow, but over time, it will make you better. It will. And the, and the aging frame is, uh, as I said, there's a lot. The technology in orthopedics is amazing. The things that we're getting people back into after serious injuries is just, you know, always prevent the injury if you can. But if you if you can and you're beat up, don't panic either. Get to get to a really good orthopedic specialist, somebody who specializes. We're so specialized these days. Like in my practice, all I do is knees. And I don't even do total knees. I, I save knees. I do everything up to that, the surgeries, the regenerative work. Uh, th- there's amazing things that we can do now. Well, tell us a little bit about that. What What is some of this newer stuff that, you know, the older athlete maybe could take advantage of? Well, one of the things we're doing is, and I'll, I'll start with my area first, is um, when you damage a joint cushion, uh, like a knee, let's say you take a hit on a knee like I did when I was younger, and you get some focal damage, uh, what I call a Philly pothole, Right. Most, most joints have cushions on either side. They're not bone on bone unless you're arthritic. On either side of the cushion is, uh, either side of the bone is a nice, maybe six to eight millimeter cushion of what's called articular cartilage. It's your cushion cartilage, not your meniscus cartilage. Yeah. And when that gets traumatized and damaged, usually that will progress to arthritis if it's untreated. And that's kind of what happened with my knee injury and so many injuries that you see. Nowadays, if you have a focal air, if you knock off a piece of cartilage of your cushion down to bone and you now have this Philly pothole, which is doomed to doom your knee over over five to 10 years, we can now actually take cells from your knee, grow them outside the knee, and then go back in and almost like spackle, put, put them back into that defect and regrow a joint cushion. That was unheard of when I was in my training. In fact, I did a, when I was at Penn, University of Pennsylvania, where I did all my surgical training, I spent a year in the research lab trying to grow cartilage and regenerate cartilage, and it was a pipe dream back then. And the, the dogma then was if you injure articular cartilage, it's doomed for life and it's going to worsen. In fact, there was a study they did where, um, on an animal study where you can look in a cushion in the joint and you can carve an initial in a, a, a cushion and five years later, look in and that would still be there. It doesn't fill in. It doesn't heal. It has no regenerative. That's one part of the body that has no regenerative capability. 
that we thought. Now we know ways of doing that. So microfracture, you hear about microfracture surgery to regenerate a cushion. That's what Roger Federer had. Whether he's going to come back from that or not, I don't know, because he also had arthritis. We can't repave the road yet, but we can fill potholes, right? So that's amazing technology, and we do this all the time. And along with those regenerative techniques, you hear about PRP, which is the, uh, the, the plasma where you take your a blood sample, spin it down, get the growth factors and re-inject it into the joint and try to stimulate healing. They're using that in muscle injuries, uh, people who tear uh, rotator cuff, part of the surgery, especially in an old beat up cuff or a quad yeah. tendon that tears, uh, or even a quad partial tear that's or a hamstring tear that's not getting better. You see these athletes who are young are getting it as part of their initial treatment. They're getting these stem cells or or PRP re-injected to the area to try to to kind of soup up the healing there and rege- and speed up the healing and give you a better quality healing tissue so you don't have scar tissue form. Scar tissue is less elastic, so more likely to tear. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit too, that you can, even with any kind of an injury, have scar tissue form in a way that's more elastic. Uh, So these stem cells are being used. Some of the older athletes now are trying to use it to, to, you know, help healing and stuff that's in areas that haven't healed or slow healing. But even the young athletes are getting it in fresh healing. I'm not sure they need it. They think they do, but they're, they're healing cap their healing factory is pretty well stocked. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Yours and mine are kind of the, the shelves are a little empty sometimes. Uh So, you know, all the help we can get. So th- these are options that weren't available uh, too long ago. And now now they are options. Unfortunately, a lot of insurance doesn't cover stem cells and PRP, but but there's ways to ways to do it. But getting back to when you pull a muscle, like if any injury you have, if you put it in a cast, like I was treated, I was in a cast for three months. You put something in a cast, some things need a cast. Don't get me wrong. You break, a, break an arm, you're going to need a cast. But some issues that we used to cast we realize if you keep it still and don't move it when you're injured, the scar tissue that forms there forms haphazardly and in, and very uh, inelastic tissue. So it's more prone to re-injure. That's why people who have a injury can keep re-injuring that hamstring or keep re-injuring that muscle calf injury. We've learned, and I was one of the early adopters, I call it the movement movement, is that when you have certain injuries, if it's safe, you got to make sure it's safe to move it because your doctor can't, you know, some things you can't move. You have a complete quad tear and you had it repaired. You have to that you have to keep that still for a while or you're going to tear it apart. But most injuries you can move early within a range that's sub, you're not going to overload the tissue to tear it further. And that's where you need supervision. But motion, controlled motion, allows for healing where the, if you look at those fibers under the microscope compared to one that was in a cast, the cast are the ones that were in a cast are haphazard. They're they're all over the place. They don't look like elastic tissue. Hmm. Whereas if you gently move it and and get blood flow to the area and gently stretch and 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 aerobic type exercise that's not going to tear it. Again, it has to be in a safe range. The, if you look at it under the microscope, it almost looks the tissue forms with parallel band scar tissue, which mm-hmm. is like the original tissue under a microscope. It's parallel; it moves elastically. Um, Interesting. So, so movement is, is you always want to ask your doc when can I start moving this? Uh, you know, I'm not going to go out and run on it, or I'm not going to jump on it. But early motion in a controlled fashion 
with getting blood flow to an area promotes a healthy tissue healing. And I think it speeds the healing. So awesome. uh, that, that's important. Uh, so that's a different way we treat things than when I was in my training where anything, everything got put in a cast for a while. And now we know that unless you really need a cast, you, if you can move something early, you're going to get better quicker and you're going to have a uh, healthier, more normal tissue form, which the body can do. As you get older, that process gets a little bit less efficient. And as I said, the shelves are a little empty sometimes, but you could still heal. I mean, you, you can heal at any age, but it's slower. You might not heal 100%. You still might have a little deficit there. And that's, that's where you have that weak link. You might have to toughen or work around. Maybe it won't resolve fully. I think that that's related to some truth that I've come to understand about just healing in general, and that's that movement and using the injured tissues lightly helps with the healing. Uh, and maybe it's just because it helps with the blood flow, but just resting things so that the, the pain will go away is often a mistake. Correct. And that's why you have to learn to sometimes working through some pain. A lot of people with backache, and I have, I've had a bad back many times where it's out. Uh, a lot of people with back pain are afraid to do anything. They don't want to go to work. They don't want to do anything. And as long as you know you're not harming something, I'm not saying a, where you have a bad pinched nerve and you have a weakness and you're going to lose control of that muscle or damage it. I'm talking about the average backache that people have. I think learning to safely get more active, get in a pool, right? get on a bike, work through a little of the discomfort, get your mind off it. I, I learned something crazy um, when my back would go out, I had this from an injury, a friend of mine clowning around who should have known better because he would do it to me all the time. And he was a really smart physical therapist, but he was crazy. He used to tackle me on the beach. That was his way of saying hello to me <laughs> when I was younger. And one time he came from right behind, straight behind. I didn't see him coming. I couldn't adjust. And it really, it hurt me. And it was, I was, my back was bad for a long time. It would go out a lot. But I found the craziest thing I learned was if I would go do a surgery and it was, and my back wasn't feeling great and it was a really hard, complex surgery. I mean, I'm talking, I've had a back, back that's sore for a few days, yeah. taking medicine, I'm doing therapy, I'm trying to get it better and it's still there. I go into a, a situation where I am focused on something besides myself, total mind focus on something very challenging. And I walk out of the surgery and I'm like, what? My back doesn't hurt anymore. It's, it's crazy, I can't explain it. Huh. I know there's a mind-body connection there. But part of the brain can keep things going, especially when it comes neck and back issues. And, I, and, I, and I, if that happened only once, I would say, ah, that was a fluke. But I can't tell you the number of times that happens. To, mm -hmm. to just get on point to something else in your life, you know, whether it's exercise, work, going to work. And that's why people sitting around all the time with back pain it doesn't help you. You get weaker. You, you get focused on it. Your mind gets negative. You, and then if you're taking narcotics, it really affects your feel, healing capability. It affects your pain response levels in, in negative ways. And there obviously there are some people who need to be on them. But a lot of people, I think if you just try to work through it, get past it, look at other alternative ways and, and let your mind work for you. The mind is powerful. And it's, uh, you know, you don't hear many orthopedic surgeons talking about the, the, the role the mind plays and how you heal and how you feel and how rapidly you feel. And some people I see in the office with a chronic problem, and they've got such a mindset that's negative. And I'm like, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to help be able to help this person. I think there's more here than, you know, and I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and I don't know how to click that part to work in their favor, but I, I, I can tell you it's working against you now. And that's why one of the 
seven steps in my book is about mindset. It's about mm -hmm. having the right mindset because it really affects how you heal. I think, I believe that you can accelerate heal. I believe you can accelerate healing a lot of ways. Fantastic. Dr. Nick, we have run out of time. Before we end it though, I wanted to thank you. And I also wanted to give you a chance to tell our audience how they can find you, maybe find your books. Do you have a website with sure. maybe you write and where would people look? Yeah. So, um, the best would be drnick.com, D-R-N-I-C-K.com. And uh, on Twitter, I'm D-R-N-I-C-K-U-S-A, Dr. Nick USA on Twitter. But D-R-N-I-C-K, drnick.com uh, has a lot of my info. My framework book is on Amazon. All of my books are on Amazon. Okay. Um, I, I used to blog for Huffington Post. So if you go on Huffington Post and just put my name in, Denubili, uh, get the right spelling on the website. Uh, you'll see a lot of interesting pieces that I read. I used to blog for Yahoo, Yahoo Health too. So yeah, find me on my website. Uh, I would urge you to read Framework uh, if you really want to buy it. If you want that extended warranty, you know, instead of the calls we get all the time, the crack yeah. calls about the extended warranty on your car, you know, learn it. You can, you can, you know, you, you started this by saying, turn back the clock. I think you can turn back the clock. I think you can turn back the odometer and get that extended warranty. Uh, and, and that's what Framework's all about. Yeah. So there's no pill yet, but there is some things we can do and that's in your book. So thanks for that. Dr. Nick, thank you again. This has been fantastic. You are a, an expert in many ways. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Really appreciate it. All right. Have a great one. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening in to my discussion about building durability into the aging athlete body, getting an extended warranty, so to speak. You can find more information about Dr. Nick in the show notes. And while you're there, you can sign up to take a free fitnesses practices assessment, send us a question to address in the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. That'd be a great help. Thanks again.